Well, welcome. I'm Joey. I'm the lead pastor of Vertical Life Church, and I just want to say welcome. I hope you are enjoying this Christmas season. Uh, this is one of my favorite times of year, and um, we are now in week two of this teaching series called Prepare Your Heart for Christmas. And uh, to get into the Christmas season, I thought I would wear some of my ugly sweaters. And so uh, you are uh, getting the honor and privilege of being in this glory. Um, I was kind of sad when I opened my drawer this morning because I noticed that there was a hole in my cat. Normally I don't wear bummy clothes, but uh, this today is a holy cat. So uh, it's a holy, ugly Christmas cat. So thank you. Uh, for humoring me. Next week will be much, much more exciting. Uh, if you have an ugly sweater, I would encourage you to wear one and join in the fun, as well as we'll have more uh, just holiday cheer to spread around. But uh, I believe this time of year is a special time of year. Uh, normally, when you attend a church during the Christmas season, this is called Advent. If you go to a liturgical season or a liturgical church, they celebrate the 40 days prior to coming of Christ in a season called Advent, literally just preparing the whole self, the mind, body, and spirit to embrace what really the coming of Jesus really means. And so this Christmas season, this month of December, we're preparing our hearts to receive our King, to see what God might want to do in our hearts as we lead up to the day that is one of the most significant days in all of the history of the world, the day Jesus Christ was born. And as you get into the scripture, you can turn to the first couple of books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all talk about the, the life of Christ. Matthew and Luke really key in on his birth. And we've been in Luke chapter 1. We'll be in there today. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Luke 1. Or if you have your phone and you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can navigate to our live events tab. The, the scriptures and notes will be there as well, just a way for you to follow along. And, uh, and so you can kind of see where we're reading. But um, when you look at the New Testament, you look at Luke chapter 1, it doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus. And normally when we think of Christmas, we only think about, well, in our culture, Santa Claus. But, but when you get spiritual, you think about the birth of Jesus Christ. But the story of God's birth doesn't begin with Jesus. It begins with John. It begins with the way God wanted to prepare the hearts of the people to receive their king. So that when Jesus came into the world, the people would be ready to receive the blessing that the Messiah would bring. And so just as you don't jump into December and go right to Christmas on December 1, and just like we don't start the, the Christmas story with John, we're kind of taking this uh, journey approach to the birth of Christ so that on our Christmas Eve service, and we talk about just the story, and we read the passages, and we sing the songs, that it might mean something a little deeper for you when we gather together. I believe, again, this time of year is a time of great joy and comfort because there's just a natural sense of wonder. Uh, this time of year is also known for... for uh, a more darker side of the seasons. Often people are depressed. They, they uh, say that even suicide is at its highest rate towards the end of the year. And I, I just have to ask and wonder why that is. Because with the coming of Jesus Christ, there's something so transformational, something so revolutionary that if you grasp what that means for you, it will fill you with such joy that it will last 365 days a year. Such joy to help you weather the difficult times and the struggles and the things that we go through in our life. 
And I believe that this message of the gospel, this message of Christ's coming is a message that God wants for us to live out each and every day. And he wants to pour out blessings even today. But we miss it many times, especially during this season, because we're so focused on the hustle and bustle of this time of year, getting the gifts, making the parties, uh, decking the halls, that with all the distractions, we fail to recognize that the moment or the opportunity that God has for us to receive a blessing has come and gone, that we've missed it. And again, last week we talked about we talked about the journeys beginning with John and how God sent John as the prophet crying in the wilderness, that he would come and prepare the people's hearts to receive the Messiah. And one of the main features of his ministry was restoring families by turning the hearts of the fathers towards the children and the children again towards the fathers, that he would bring in this healing process in families. And I know there's people here today that need a healing in their family. He'd also return the foolish to the wisdom of the godly to direct people away from foolish decisions and mindsets and, and perceptions and decisions and return them to seek the only wisdom that can bring a transformed life, a life filled with hope and joy and the uh, love that comes from a relationship with God. And there are people in this room today and people you know that need to change from foolish to wise, to change from a foolish path to a wise path that centers on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about forgiveness and reconciliation, and that being a major area of our hearts that need to be uh, addressed. And as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, to receive this Christmas blessing, that we need to be clearing a way in our hearts for God to come in and do a work. And this week, I want to talk about another issue that is with something I think that's very significant, something that we don't really give a lot of thought to as we live our everyday life. You probably didn't wake up this morning thinking about this very subject, but yet it has an effect on you and it is affecting your perceptions, your decisions, and even your emotions as you gather with us this morning. And that subject that we're going to discuss today is the issue of identity. Somebody say identity. Identity. It is an issue that we all wrestle with. Now, in our culture, especially the last several years, our culture has discussed this issue. Would you agree? That in our culture, in a lot of the different mediums, whether it be the news or in television shows or in just even uh, the high school hallway, there has been a lot of talk about identity. And the thing about identity is, or how you identify yourself the way you identify yourself or what you choose to find or root your identity in, that will direct your thoughts and your feelings. Matter of fact, it will direct the very course of your life. It will help direct the decisions that you make and the way you feel about circumstances. The definition of identity is simply this. It is the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. It is the fact of being who or what a person is. Simply put, identity is what you associate about yourself. That is what identity is. And there might be some confusion, maybe. You're thinking, well, what does this have anything to do with Christmas? Well, there's some confusion as to how this applies because we don't recognize that how identity is affected by our hearts. And we're talking about preparing our hearts for Christmas. 
And we would think maybe identity seems more psychological than spiritual, but I'm going to show you from the Word of God how our very hearts help influence and direct the very identities we hold to, the very things we allow to shape who we are. So I want to show you the way in which the word heart is used in the Bible, and we'll see how our hearts really drive our identities. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, this is what the Word of God says. It says, For as he thinketh in his what? Heart. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. This is wisdom from Solomon. It says, What you think is what you are. There used to be a commercial not too long ago that says, You are what you eat. You are not what you eat. You might wear what you eat, especially around the holidays. But you are not what you eat. You are, however, what you think. Because what you think will produce action, behavior. It will produce what defines you in your life. Jesus said it like this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So what flows out of your life, what shapes who you are, what other people think of you and perceive of you, and, and even the decisions and emotions that you feel all stem from your heart. We know speech does not happen without a thought. You cannot say a word without first having a thought, even in a split second. And here, Jesus reveals that it is the heart, not just an organ. The heart's not just an organ, but there is a spiritual component to our heart that the heart is the originator and motivator of our thoughts. The heart is separate from the mind, but yet still the heart has a powerful influence over what you think. This is why Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 encourages the church to live by the Spirit, to war against our flesh, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ because within us there is a conflict between flesh and the Holy Spirit. And our hearts, which are dominated by sinful nature, are constantly warring against the very thing God wants to use to lead us into an abundant life. The word heart can also be translated as soul. In the original Greek language in the New Testament, uh, these two words can often be interchanged. And the soul is comprised of the mind, the will, and the emotions. This is synonymous with another Greek word, which is the word psyche, which is where we get our term psychological or psychiatry. And it refers to the same thing. The heart and soul are so closely related that often in the, the Greek language and in the Bible, they're interchangeable. And because they're so closely related, the writer of Hebrews tells us that there's only one thing that can discern between the two, that can divide between the two, and that is the very word of God. That the word of God is a sharp sword, that it can cut between the bone and marrow, even between the soul and the spirit, or the heart and our spirit, the eternal nature and the part that has influence over our flesh. The heart is our inner self, and within the inner being of man, again, we have a soul and a spirit all exerting influence over our lives. 
Now, the Holy Spirit, when you choose to place your faith and trust in Jesus, you decide to go all in and say, Jesus, you are my Lord. I'm turning away from sin, and I'm going to trust in you for salvation, for forgiveness, to have a relationship with my Heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit comes to live with inside of you. It breathes life into your spirit, which is what brings up eternal life. This is what brings up that the living water Jesus refers to. And the Spirit points us to life in Christ, to the abundant life, to the blessings that God wants to lead us into. But the soul, which is, again, dominated by the sinful curse that was unleashed in the fall of man, the soul is dominated by sin and the flesh, and it wars against the Spirit's effort to lead us into life with Jesus, into that abundant life. And what happens with this conflict in the psyche of a person, in the inner being of a person, is that it is what forms our identity, depending on which side you begin to follow. It begins to form who you are. It begins to form your thought patterns, your decisions, your emotions, your feelings, your beliefs about yourself. It's influenced and determined by what we hide in our hearts. All of our self-worth, all of our self-esteem, all of our confidence, all the things we believe about ourselves that shape who we are, that shape what we would consider our identity is shaped and influenced by the war inside of our hearts. It affects our ability to experience joy or to have courageous faith or whether we feel constant anxiety and fear and discouragement. It's all based on what we've chosen to believe deep within our hearts. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He's writing here just declaring that God, it's your truth that I've hidden in my heart so that your truth would inform my thoughts, that your truth would inform me of what I'm supposed to believe, that that's what would direct my life. Because Jesus said, if you remain in the truth, it will set you free. If you remain in the truth, it is going to lead you to that abundant life that Jesus came to provide. It is the truth of God we need to hide in our hearts, but so often that is not our experience. Paul also tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and what is right, what is honorable, pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Fixing your thoughts, that's a choice. You get to choose what you believe, but so often we make that choice without even really thinking about it. And a truth that we need to recognize this is this, that because what you believe in your heart will influence what you think, and what you think will determine what you do, and what you do will determine who you are and what becomes of, of your life, it will determine whether you are walking into God's blessing or missing out on God's blessing. And it all leads back to the heart. Let's say that again. What you believe in your heart will influence what you think. What you think will determine what you do. And what you do will determine who you are and what becomes of your life. It will determine whether you're walking into God's blessing or missing out on God's blessing. And it all leads back to our hearts. You see, your heart is the rudder to the ship that guides your life. 
Your heart is the rudder. In an article by M. Farouk Radwan, MSC, entitled How People's Psychological Identities Affect Their Behavior, he says this. He says, when a person becomes attached to a certain identity, he feels more worthy when he moves closer to it and less worthy when he is pushed away from it. People do their best to protect their main identities. As a result, they change their behavior. I thought that was so profound when I read it because, in other words, what he's saying is we naturally gravitate to protect the beliefs we have about ourselves, the things we are allowing to define who we are rather than letting something draw us away from those beliefs. And he makes a statement in his article that we will go at great to great lengths to protect those beliefs. Think about this. Think about how profound this is and just how it makes sense to our experience. If you think that you are unworthy or not good enough, do you think you're going to take risk? Or are you going to shrink back and allow fear to dominate? Right? This is our experience. And if you believe that everyone is out to put you down or criticize you, are you going to be encouraged and filled with joy? Are you going to see the bright side of relationships? No, you're going to be left depressed and discouraged. You're going to struggle to find joy in life. You're going to have a hard time connecting and pushing towards connection. You're going to be shrinking back into isolation because that is what you've allowed to shape your identity. And when God brings a chance for change, he allows something to come into your life to bring you into something better, you'll shrink back out of fear and shame because you actually feel safer in discouragement rather than taking a risk that could lead to something better. Joy and peace are strangers to you. And you believe you'll never be worthy to have a different experience because you've allowed these lies from the enemy, from the pit of hell, and from what others have said about you to define who you are. You've believed this in your life, and it's affecting your behavior. The negativity is far more familiar. And this is something I struggled with for a long time, feeling like really growing up as a, as a teenager that nobody liked me. Deep down in my heart, I didn't believe that I was good enough or worthy of love, and it actually led to uh, develop some antisocial behavior that caused me to miss out on many blessings of many true friendships. I mean, if we want to get real and relative today, why do you think transgenders wear clothes to look like the opposite sex? Or why they go to great lengths to take highly potent hormones and go through surgery to change their bodies. It's to protect the identity they've believed in. It's to protect the identity they've chosen. I mean, this applies to men and women, men or women, really, in our day. If your identity is in your appearance, about how you look, you associate your value, your worth with how you look in the mirror, you're going to go to great lengths to keep up that appearance and to keep it from changing. You're going to invest in every kind of cosmetic uh, gimmick or even have surgery just to keep yourself from changing. Why? Because one slight wrinkle or something that's no longer as sturdy and, and strong as it used to be is going to have a damaging effect on what you feel about yourself. When you notice the slightest change, it'll be devastating to your emotions increasing your anxiety and your worry because your identity is rooted in your appearance. If your identity is rooted in your occupation or your career, and that's where your sense of self or self-worth comes from and your accomplishments, you're going to do whatever it is to necessary to keep climbing that ladder. 
You're going to sacrifice even your family relationships to maintain your special social status. And when anything begins to tarnish that success, worry, anxiety, depression may result, all leading to a negative view of life and an increasing the emptiness in your experience. You know, at the end of life, no one says, and I've been to the bedside of many in the last days, in their last days, no one at their bedside on their deathbed ever says, man, I wish I worked more. Man, I wish I made more money. No one ever says that. But there are many regrets because of missed out blessings. See, what you root your identity in will influence how you perceive and experience the world, what you strive for, what you uh, long for, what you're choosing to pursue in your life. And we have let our identities, who we are on a fundamental level, be determined by something other than the one who created us. This is why we struggle and have discouragement and anxiety. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about tomorrow. He says, if you pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you'll have everything you need. That today's trouble is enough for today. Let tomorrow worry about itself. See, God's mercy is new every morning, which means every day we have enough grace and mercy for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Because you're going to go to bed and realize that the sorrow may last for the night, but the joy comes in the morning, and tomorrow you're going to wake up to the mercy and grace you need for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow today. But we worry about it. Why? Because our identity isn't in the one who created us. It's in something else. We're finding security in something else. But when our identity is rooted in Jesus... When our identity comes from the one who made us, the one who saved, saved us, the one who died for us, the one who gave his life to pursue us, to have a relationship with us, it does not matter what this life brings or what trials we face. It does not matter what people say about us. Though circumstances may be difficult to walk through, we will not be shaken for our confidence will be in the Lord and not in ourselves. I can do nothing apart from God. Jesus even said that, apart from me, you can do nothing, but with me, all things are possible. With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are what, church? They're possible. There's nothing in myself that's worthy, but God in me makes me worthy. When my identity is in Jesus, I have no reason to fear. You see, a child of God who has their identity in Jesus will not find their identity in their sexuality because God is the one who created sex. And if God created sex, then he created it for a good purpose, not for us to be overcome and undone by the dangers and destruction the devil has brought into this world. A child of God does not find their identity in their sexuality because their God is not sex. It is God, our creator. A child of God is not consumed by their appearance because they recognize that beauty fades. It's only here for a short time, but a godly spirit lives on forever. A child of God is not greedy or consumed with comfort. They pursue treasure in heaven because they realize that there is a treasure, there is a riches that are awaiting for us in glory that neither moth nor dust can corrupt. And they pursue heavenly treasure and a life filled with love following the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A child of God, a person finding their identity rooted in Jesus is not overcome by fear and anxiety because we have the peace that passes all understanding. 
A child of God is not conformed to the behaviors and customs of this world like being consumed with physical gratification by being intoxicated with excess, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but they are consumed with being filled with and walking in the Holy Spirit. See, what we root our identity in will determine the choices we make, the perceptions we perceive, the feelings we have, and it will be the focus of our lives. And I truly believe in my heart today, God wants to rescue some of you here today from yourselves. He wants to rescue you from yourself. He wants to set you free today from a carnal identity that has defined your life. And he wants you to wake up to the realization of who you really are in Jesus Christ. He wants to set you free. As a child of God, he wants to make a shift in your heart from being earthly-minded to being heavenly-minded, recognizing that you are not a body with a spirit. Listen to me, church. You are a spirit with a body. You are not a body with a spirit. You are a spirit with a body. You're a spiritual person. God knew you before the foundation of the world. That means there was a relationship in the works even before your body was breathed into existence. Your eternal soul was written and destined and penned on the pages of creation before God spoke light into an existence. And when God created you, he created an eternal soul. When this body dies, it's going into the grave, but your soul will live on in eternity with Jesus. You are a living soul. And he wants you to get your mind focused out of this body and on eternity. He wants to get your mind focused off the earth and into heaven. He wants to shape your perception in the world through God's will and his purposes for your life. And as we look at Christmas, as we look at this story, this is the very thing that God had to do in Mary's life before she was ready to carry this risen Savior. Before she was ready to carry Jesus into the world, God had to help Mary recognize who she was. Before giving her the honor of being the Lord's mother, he had to prepare her heart for the blessing he was about to pour out. Because without preparing her heart, she would not have had the faith or the determination to follow God into his promises. And that's often what keeps us falling short when God calls us out and he says, child, lead, let me lead you this way. Let me lead your life. Take this step. We only go so far before we give up and quit because we don't recognize who we are and whose we are. We don't have the faith to keep going because we look at ourselves, our qualities, our skills, our talents. And we say, hmm, I'm not seeing it, God, just like Moses did. But when the I am says, I'm going with you, that's a game changer. It's a game changer. So God comes to Mary in Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verses 26 through 29. And we're going to see how God changes Mary's identity. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Check out verse 29. Read this with me if you have your scriptures there or following along. Verse 29 says, Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think, What could this mean? I'm sorry, did the angel stutter? No. 
But what did he say? He said, greetings, favored woman. Think about what's happening here. An angel from glory appears before Mary. The glory of heaven is all around. He's speaking with eloquence unmatched by mankind. And he calls her favored woman. Of course, she knew what he was saying. You are favored by God. You are favored by God. But her response was not, yeah, I know it's great, isn't it? That's so awesome. I know I'm like so favored, you know. That wasn't her response. It was the exact opposite, right? It was confusion and disturbed. It was, who, you talking to me? Right? She didn't understand that she had favor with God. She was trying to figure out what God was saying. You see, we have to know something about Mary. Mary was not rich. She was not a king's daughter. She did not live in a fancy house. She didn't have a, a job, a good 401k. She didn't drive a car like we do. And we think we're poor because we have, you know, a car and we can put gas in it. No, she was sleeping on a dirt floor in the middle of nowhere, barely scraping by every day of her life. And she was espoused to a man who was a carpenter who wasn't going to make much more money. Mary was nothing. She lived in nowhere, nowheresville. She was impoverished. She was hidden. And in this culture, in this day and time, really, it was a chauvinistic society. Women were not much greater than, than the cattle. They were treated like property. They were, they were sold off, essentially, in their marriages. Their husbands-to-be had to pay a price for them. Their, their fathers basically sold them to compensate them for the work that they were going to lose. This was not a, a culture where women were built up and edified. Matter of fact, they couldn't even testify in court. They weren't even considered a whole person. She was used to being in the background, being overlooked and discarded. And as the angel appears to her and says, you are favored. I can only imagine that she really had two responses in her heart. Two responses in her heart. The first thing was, why on earth is Gabriel appearing to me at all? Who am I? Why is he appearing to me. I'm no one. He should appear to the high priest, or he should appear to my husband, or he should appear to, she had this mentality, she had this identity that was plaguing her soul and her spirit. Her beliefs were not that, yeah, this was going to happen. I've been believing God for it. I know who I am. No, she was confused, she was disturbed, and she had no idea what this was meaning. She wondered why Gabriel was appearing to her. The second thing the second response that I feel like that she was probably having in her heart was this. Yeah, right. Favored? Do you know who or what I am? And you know what? I think if we're honest today, I think that is the exact same response just about every one of us would have here in the room with the same message. Hearing those words, you are favored. We'd say, talking to me. And do you know who or what I am? Do you know what I've done? I'm favored? No. My past defines me. My broken relationship defines me. My mistakes define me. I'm not favored. And I think most of us consistently feel not good enough or worthy of God's love. 
And that's the identity that we've been adopting. We know Jesus died for the sins of the world. God loved the world. But I think deep down, the identity that we've espoused is that God, yeah, God loves me, but he doesn't really love me. And because we don't think he really loves me, we've been consistently trying to earn his love and favor because we just don't feel like we're good enough. You know, when we talk about calling in the church, we use this word calling, referring to God, like speaking to your heart about a next step or, or maybe a purpose for your life. When we talk about calling, we automatically think that the pastor is talking about somebody else in the room. When we say, when we say God has called you to be a missionary, we automatically look around the room and think, who's he talking to? You know, when we say God's called you to just be a servant in the church, we look around and be like, well, it's definitely not me. I wonder who's getting that message. God couldn't be possibly thinking or speaking to me. Why would God speak to me? Why would God choose me? Who am I that God would be mindful of me? Because if everyone else knew what I've done in my life, if they would know the history I have, there's no way they would say God was choosing me. And why do we respond this way? Why are we so hesitant to receive the call of God and the favor of God, to receive it by faith just as we receive salvation? It's because our identities are not rooted in the truth of what God says about us. They are rooted in what we've chosen to believe about ourselves. And most of what we've chosen to believe are lies from the enemy. We allow thoughts of insecurity and discouragement, failure, shame, condemnation to be the driving motivators of our faith. And so what do we do? We serve out of guilt. We come to church out of duty. We pay God back with doing good things and not because of thankful hearts filled with joy and praise. And I struggled with this for so long, feeling like God couldn't even like me. Like, yeah, God loves me. Does he even like me? I keep screwing up over and over and over again. I keep making the same mistakes. If I was really sorry, I just wouldn't do it anymore. So how could God just like me? I felt like I was always skating on thin ice with God, that at any moment he would leave because I just kept messing up. And that belief in my heart, that identity of guilt and shame did not help my faith. It hindered my faith. It made me feel more like a prisoner than a free person. And often I'd get to a place in my spiritual life where I just wanted to give up because I never believed I could just be good enough to be worthy of his love. But then I had a game-changing moment in my life. And I believe God wants that for some of you today. I experienced his unconditional love where I recognized for the first time in my life that God loved me in spite of who I was. God loved me, including all the wrinkles, all the baggage, all the mistakes. God loved me amongst all the failures, and he still called me and chose me and put me on a mission to bring him glory. And I began to search the scriptures about what God had to say about me to allow the truth to be hidden in my heart, that that would influence my mind. And you know what I found that the Bible says about me? The Bible says I'm accepted, not rejected. The Bible says God is my friend and that he rejoices over me with songs of joy like a father sings over his children that I'm not just forgiven, but that I am holy as he is holy. Figure that one out, folks. Figure that out. With all the dark spots in my past, I'm holy 
as he is holy. I've been chosen by God to be adopted into his family, making me a son of the Most High. I am complete in Christ, lacking nothing. I am secure, for he will never leave me or forsake me. I am not condemned because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I don't have to feel guilty anymore for the stains in my past. I can live on in freedom and from glory to glory because of what Jesus did for me and who I am as a son of God. I'm a citizen of heaven. I've been seated in the place of honor and power with Jesus Christ. I am set to inherit all things because I receive all things through Jesus, even the authority God has given him. And you know what? God not only likes me, he's pleased with me. When I look at my kids, even when they're doing that same annoying thing they do time and time again and won't stop, I'm pleased with my children. I love them with a love that will never die. My God looks at me the same way. He's a good daddy. He's a good father. God is pleased with me and rejoices over me. And so I can be happy. I can be happy. I can be unashamed because happy is he whose God is the Lord. And as my identity stopped being in my faults and failures and my lack and my weaknesses, my insecurity and my fears and started being rooted in who I am in Jesus Christ, it was a game changer for my life. The hindrances the enemy so easily tripped me up and slowed me down with began to fade. And my outlook on my life, I began to perceive the world differently, my relationships differently, my calling differently. The decisions I began to make were different. I began living according to who Jesus says I am, not what the world and the enemy would have me to believe. I began to experience the miraculous in my life. And you know, I'm still growing in that truth. Praise God. May I never stop growing. The anxieties and weights I used to carry are gone. Like trying to please people around me and make people happy with me and constant fear that failure would run people off and that rejection just crippled my spirit. Every time I did not measure up, that's gone. My wife and I, we begin on this journey discovering who we are in Jesus Christ and allowing the truth of God shape our identity. It's revolutionizing even our marriage and how we interact with one another and perceive and process through hearts, our hurts and hardships. And finally, after 15 years of marriage, we're beginning to experience true peace in our relationship. You know, this is God's will for you, not just for me. It's for you. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered, will be saved. God's will for you is that you would not just understand with your head that you are a child of God, but what you would understand with your heart what it means. You'd believe it deep down in your soul, and that belief with your heart would begin to, as the rudder of the ship that guides your life, begin to guide your life into that overcoming life, that life that God has destined for you. This is the very reason Jesus was sent into the world. He even proclaimed it in John 10, 10. says, I've come into the world to give you life and life more abundantly. But so often we settle for less because we let the world and the enemy define who we are and not the one who created us define who we are. And some of you here today are dooming yourself to repeat the same broken cycles over and over again in your life because you're living according to a false identity because of lies you've believed deep into your heart. 
lies you adopted in this broken world. You see, when Gabriel showed up to Mary, he really had two things to accomplish. The first thing Gabriel wanted to accomplish is he had to correct Mary's identity issues. He had to correct it. You're not nothing. You're not invisible. You're visible to God. Matter of fact, you're like a shining light in a dark world to God. Everyone matters to God. Everyone matters to God. You're favored. And the second purpose he had was to prophesy over her life. He shares God's heart for her. Not only would she carry the king of kings, you know, it's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to feel it in reality. And there's nothing like having a powerful encounter with the presence of God that, that just revolutionizes the way you view your life. And he prophesied over her and confirmed this truth with her. We can read in Luke chapter 1, 30 through 37. He says to Mary, don't be afraid. Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus, and he will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, verse 36, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Not only does he prophesy over her life, but he gives her a word of confirmation, how she can know the very thing spoken over her is true. You see, the thing about each and every one of us, if you're a child of God, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, the thing that's true about every one of us is God did not save you, adopt you, cleanse you, forgive you, bring you into his family for nothing. He did it for a purpose, a big purpose, a purpose set in stone before the foundation of the world. He has a plan for your life. And that plan is set in motion the moment you took that step of faith and said, Jesus, I am yours. He has a purpose for you to fulfill. And many of us, as we look back at our lives, whether we're old or young, we may ask the same questions Mary did. Why would God want to do anything with me or through me? Could God even do a miracle through me? Or how can God do anything miraculous because of all the things I've done and we're letting our past define who we are? But the answer to the first question is of why would God want to do anything with you? Number one is because if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have found favor with God. If you're a child of God, you have found favor. You have found favor, and you have found favor, and you have found favor, and you have found favor with God. You are highly favored of God because you are His. You're favored. And the answer to the second question, how can God do anything or would God do anything miraculous through me? And the answer is, without a doubt, yes. Yes. Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not for you. It's for the kingdom. And how is he going to do it? He's going to do it the same way God did the miracle through Mary. 
the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. And through the power of God's Spirit, he will accomplish the very thing he has spoken over your life. It's through him. The Spirit of God is going to do what God wants to do in you. It's not about you. Apart from God, we can do nothing, but with God, all things are possible. You have found favor. If you have the Holy Spirit, then God will accomplish it. So we have to wrestle with some things. We have to wrestle with whether or not we're going to surrender to the purposes of God and receive his promises by faith and take steps of faith, or are we going to continue as we are? You see, walking towards God's promises in faith is not an easy task. It's difficult. Without seeing yourself the way God sees you, it's near impossible. Because doubt, discouragement, fear, that all stands in the way. But God has not given his children a spirit of fear. He's given his children a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And God is getting ready to revolutionize some people in this place today. In verse 38, look at Mary's response. This is completely different from when she first began to interact with the angel. In verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you are highly favored. And she's like, who, me? But now, because of this encounter with God, she says, I am. Not I might be. Not I could be. Not I probably am. I am the Lord's servant. Are you the Lord's servant. When she said, I am the Lord's servant, this is a statement of identity. No longer did she doubt why God chose her. If she was qualified, she knew she was qualified. God decided she was. And because she began to see herself according to what God said about her, not about how she felt about herself as a servant of the Lord God, not long after she began to receive the very blessing God spoke over her life. She became pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and every life in this room is a result of that decision, of that moment where she said, I'm done letting my past define me. I'm done letting my social status define me. I'm done letting my relationships define me. I'm done letting this world define me. Guess who gets to define me? God. And because of that, we're all in this room today. And I believe that God wants to make his church pregnant with the Holy Spirit, with miracles, with lives changed. I believe that he wants to reveal himself to make his presence fall in this place. I believe that he wants to restore your marriage. I believe he wants to heal your broken heart. I believe that God wants to turn some lives upside down in this place, but we have to decide who gets to define us. Are we going to continue to be defined by our past and shrink back, or are we going to let God define us and declare today, I'm a child of the living God? You see, today, church, we don't need an angelic visitation. We have everything He's ever said about us in his word, in the Bible. We simply just need to believe what he said. Let's bow for prayer in this place. Maybe you're here today. 
and you're struggling with your faith, I don't know. We all get to a place in life where it's just hard to trust. Things get so difficult that it's hard to just believe God for the things that we need. And maybe you're struggling because you still just don't see yourself the way God sees you. You live buried in guilt and in shame, and you can't bring yourself to even believe that God is happy with you just because you're his child. If that's you here today, I'd like to pray for you. That God would open your eyes this morning and help you see and experience his favor in your life. If that's you here today, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, that's me. Amen. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. God, I just pray for the hands raised in the name of Jesus. God, I know from my own experience that when I've allowed my decisions, when I've allowed my mistakes to hang over my head, when I wore my pain on my back like a backpack, God, my life was a wreck, it was a mess, and I never could muster the faith to step out and follow you the way I knew you were calling in my life. And God, I know there are people here that are in the same circumstance. Maybe they went through a devastating life circumstance or situation. Maybe they've run, uh, just had a series of hardship or a difficult season, God, or whatever it is that's hanging over them. Maybe there's something in your li their life that they just haven't been able to overcome. And the enemy is accusing, saying, you are not good enough. You are not worthy. Don't even think about stepping out in faith. How could God use you? How could good God ever want to do anything through you? God, I just silence those voices now in Jesus' name. I declare on the authority of the word of God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The old is past, the new has come. God, I speak that truth into their life right now, that they are a new creation. Their past does not define them. The blood of Jesus, which cleanses from all sin, defines them, God. I just release that now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray hope would rise, that your spirit would descend and fall, that the scales would fall from their eyes, God, and they would see themselves as highly favored. God, that your hope, your life, your glory would come right now in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that you would burn in their soul like a fire, that they would scour the pages of Scripture to see what you've said so that the truth can set them free. Those chains be broken now in the name of Jesus. Those lies be undone in the name of Jesus. Every curse come your way because of the, these lies. I undo in Jesus' name, and I declare your identity as a son and daughter of the Most High God. Nothing else gets to define you. Thank you, Jesus. And maybe you're here today, every head bowed, every eye closed. This is an intimate moment between us and the Lord. Maybe you're here and you just don't know what God wants for your life or what his purpose is. And your desire is to surrender your life to him, to be like Mary and say, I am the Lord's servant. And you want to press into his blessings today, but there's still just some confusion and you're not sure. Or maybe you do know, you just have lacked the faith to take this step. If that's you here today, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, as the angel confirmed to Mary, I pray, Lord, that you would come and speak right now. That you would speak right now in the name of Jesus.
God, and you would bring that confirmation. God, that you would speak, that you would declare it right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. As we hear from the Lord. I just see in my mind and my spirit someone praying about doing something in the culinary field. I just see in my mind and my spirit right now ministry. I see community organizer. see a missionary overseas right now in the name of Jesus Lord just communicate Father bring confirmation I see an artist God I see a business person I see construction nonprofit business thank you Jesus Father, I just pray you bring confirmation. Lord, I know your kingdom is bigger and wider and greater. God, and I just pray for those that didn't raise their hand, Father. For those that were scared to raise their hand, God, speak into their life. God, let them know that you're speaking to them. I know there's somebody right now, God, that needs to give their life to Jesus. There's somebody that knows that they have been far from you. They don't know you as their Lord and Savior. And I just speak to you. I know God is speaking to your heart right now. You need to be saved. Right now, you would just repeat this prayer with me. Say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. Jesus is my Lord. He gets to lead now. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me, God. Fill me. I am your servant in Jesus' name. I just feel like the Spirit is saying somebody is thinking about law enforcement right now in Jesus' name. Education, something in the education field. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Right now, as we just stay in an attitude of prayer, before we worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings, if there's anything in your heart that you need prayer for, maybe God spoke to you. And one of the things that was mentioned was something that God has been speaking to your heart. I just challenge you to come forward as Tony leads us in a final song. I just invite you to come forward for prayer. And we'll pray over that in the name of Jesus.